Chapter Three of the God of All Comfort. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The God of All Comfort by Hannah Whittle Smith. Chapter Three, The God of All Comfort. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Among all the names that reveal God, this, the God of all comfort, seems to me one of the loveliest and most absolutely comforting. The words all comfort admit of no limitation and no deductions, and one would suppose that however full of discomforts the outward life of the followers of such a God might be, their inward religious life must necessarily be always and under all circumstances a comfortable life. But as a fact it often seems as if exactly the opposite were the case, and the religious lives of large numbers of the children of God are full not of comfort, but of the utmost discomfort. This discomfort arises from anxiety as to their relationship to God, and doubts as to His love. They torment themselves with the thought that they are too good for nothing to be worthy of His care, and they suspect Him of being indifferent to their trials and of forsaking them in times of need. They are anxious and troubled about everything in their religious life, about their disposition and feelings, their indifference to the Bible, their want of fervency in prayer, their coldness of heart. They are tormented with unavailing regrets over their past, and with devouring anxieties for their future. They feel unworthy to enter God's presence, and dare not believe that they belong to Him. They can be happy and comfortable with their earthly friends, but they cannot be happy or comfortable with God. And although He declares Himself to be the God of all comfort, they continually complain that they cannot find comfort anywhere and their sorrowful looks and the doleful tones of their voice show that they are speaking the truth. Such Christians, although they profess to be the followers of the God of all comfort, spread gloom and discomfort around them wherever they go, and it is out of the question for them to hope that they can induce anyone else to believe that this beautiful name by which he has announced himself is anything more than a pious phrase, which in reality means nothing at all. And the manifestly uncomfortable religious lives of so many Christians is, I am very much afraid, responsible for a large part of the unbelief of the world. The Apostle says that we are to be living epistles known and read of all men, and the question as to what men read in us is of far more vital importance to the spread of Christ's kingdom than we half the time realize. It is not what we say that tells, but what we are. It is easy enough to say a great many beautiful things about God being the God of all comfort, but unless we know what it is to be really and truly comforted ourselves, we might as well talk to the winds. People must read in our lives what they hear in our words, or all our preaching is worse than useless. It would be well for us to ask ourselves what they are reading in us. Is it comfort or discomfort that voices itself in our daily walk and life? But at this point I may be asked what I mean by the comfort God gives. Is it a sort of pious grace that may perhaps fit us for heaven, but that is somehow unfit to bear the brunt of our everyday life, with its trials and its pains? 
or is it an honest and genuine comfort as we understand comfort that enfolds life's trials and pains in an all-embracing peace with all my heart i believe it is the latter comfort whether human or divine is pure and simple comfort and is nothing else we none of us care for pious phrases we want realities and the reality of being comforted and comfortable seems to me almost more delightful than any other thing in life we all know what it is when as little children we have cuddled up into our mother's lap after a fall or a misfortune and have felt her dear arms around us and her soft kisses on our hair we have had comfort when as grown-up people after a hard day's work we have put on our slippers and seated ourselves by the fire in an easy chair with a book we have had comfort when after a painful illness we have begun to recover and have been able to stretch our limbs and open our eyes without pain we have had comfort when someone whom we dearly love has been ill almost unto death and has been restored to us in health again we have had comfort a thousand times in our lives probably have we said with a sigh of relief as a toil over or burdens laid down well this is comfortable and in that word comfortable there has been comprised more a rest and relief and satisfaction and pleasure than any other word in the english language could possibly be made to express we cannot fail therefore to understand the meaning of this name of god the god of all comfort but alas we have failed to believe it it has seemed to us too good to be true the joy and delight of it if it were really a fact have been more than our poor suspicious natures could take in we may venture to hope sometimes that little scraps of comfort may be vouchsafed to us but we have run away frightened at the thought of the all comfort that is ours in the salvation of the lord jesus christ and yet what more could he have said about it than he has said as one whom his mother comforteth so will i comfort you and ye shall be comforted notice the as and so in this passage as one whom his mother comforteth so will i comfort you it is real comforting that is meant here the sort of comforting that a child feels when it is dandled on its mother's knees and borne on her sides and yet how many of us have really believed that god's comforting is actually as tender and true as a mother's comforting or even half a quarter so real instead of thinking of ourselves as being dandled on his knees and hugged to his heart as mothers hug have we not rather been inclined to look upon him as a stern unbending judge holding us at a distance and demanding our respectful homage and critical of our slightest faults is it any wonder that our religion instead of making us comfortable has made us thoroughly uncomfortable who could help being uncomfortable in the presence of such a judge but i rejoice to say that that stern judge is not there he does not exist the god who does exist is a god who is like a mother a god who says to us as plainly as words can say it as one whom his mother comforteth so will i comfort you over and over again he declares this i even i am he that comforteth you he says to the poor frightened children of israel and then he reproaches them for not being comforted 
Why, he says, should you let anything make you afraid, when here is the Lord your Maker ready and longing to comfort you? You have feared continually every day the fury of the oppressor, and have forgotten me, who have stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. Where is the fury of the oppressor when I am by? The God who exists is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who so loved the world that he sent his Son, not to judge the world, but to save it. He is the God who anointed the Lord Jesus Christ to bind up the broken-hearted, and to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, and to comfort all that mourn. Please notice that all, not a few select ones only, but all, every captive of sin, every prisoner in infirmity, every mourning heart throughout the whole world must be included in this all. It would not be all if there should be a single one left out, no matter how insignificant or unworthy or even how feeble-minded that one might be. I have always been thankful that the feeble-minded are especially mentioned by Paul in his exhortations to the Thessalonian Christians, when he is urging them to comfort one another. In effect, he says, do not scold the feeble-minded, but comfort them. The very ones who need comfort most are the ones that our God, who is like a mother, wants to comfort, not the strong-minded ones, but the feeble-minded. For this is the glory of a religion of love, and this is the glory of the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was anointed to comfort all that mourn. The God of all comfort sent his Son to be the comforter of a mourning world, and all through his life on earth he fulfilled his divine mission. When his disciples asked him to call down fire from heaven to consume some people who refused to receive him, he turned and rebuked them, and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He received sinners and ate with them. He welcomed Mary Magdalene when all men turned from her. He refused even to condemn the woman who was taken in the very act of sin, but said to the scribes and Pharisees who had brought her before him, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And when, convicted by their own consciences, they all went out one by one without condemning her, he said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Always and everywhere he was on the side of sinners. That was what he was for. He came to save sinners. He had no other mission. Two little girls were talking about God, and one said, I know God does not love me. He could not care for such a teeny tiny little girl as I am. Dear me, sis, said the other little girl, don't you know that that is just what God is for? to take care of teeny tiny little girls who can't take care of themselves, just like us. Is he, said the first little girl, I did not know that, that I don't need to worry any more, do I? If any troubled, doubting heart, any heart that is fearing continually every day some form or other of evil, should read these lines, let me tell you again in trumpet tones that this is just what the Lord Jesus Christ is for to care for and comfort all who mourn. All remember, every single one, even you yourself, for it would not be all if you were left out. You may be so cast down that you can hardly lift up your head, 
but the apostle tells us that he is the god that comforteth those that are cast down the comforting of christ all who mourn all who are cast down i love to think of such a mission of comfort in a world of mourning like ours and i long to see every cast down and sorrowing heart comforted with this comforting of god and our comforter is not far off in heaven where we cannot find him he is close at hand he abides with us when christ was going away from this earth he told his disciples that he would not leave them comfortless but would send another comforter who would abide with them for ever this comforter he said would teach them all things and would bring all things to their remembrance and then he declared as though it were the necessary result of the coming of this divine comforter peace i leave with you my peace i give unto you not as the world giveth give i unto you let not your heart therefore be troubled neither let it be afraid oh how can we in the face of these tender and loving words go about with troubled and frightened hearts comforter what a word of bliss if we only could realize it let us repeat it over and over to ourselves until its meaning sinks into the very depths of our being and an abiding comforter too not one who comes and goes and is never on hand when most needed but one who is always present and always ready to give us joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness the very words abiding comforter are an amazing revelation try to comprehend them if we can have a human comforter to stay with us for only a few days when we are in trouble we think ourselves fortunate but here is a divine comforter who is always staying with us and whose power to comfort is infinite never never ought we for a single minute to be without comfort never for a single minute ought we to be uncomfortable i have often wondered whether those early disciples realized at all what this glorious legacy of a comforter meant i am very sure the majority of the disciples of christ now do not if they did there could not possibly be so many uncomfortable christians about but you may ask whether this divine comforter does not sometimes reprove us for our sins and whether we can get any comfort out of this in my opinion this is exactly one of the places where the comfort comes in for what sort of creatures should we be if we had no divine teacher always at hand to show us our faults and awaken in us a desire to get rid of them if i am walking along the street with a very disfiguring hole in the back of my dress of which i am in ignorance it is certainly a very great comfort to me to have a kind friend who will tell me of it and similarly it is indeed a comfort to know that there is always abiding with me a divine all-seeing comforter who will reprove me for all my faults and will not let me go on in a fatal unconsciousness of them emerson says it is far more to a man's interest that he should see his own faults than that any one else should see them and a moment's thought will convince us that this is true and will make us thankful for the comforter who reveals them to us i remember vividly the comfort it used to be to me when i was young to have a sister who always knew what was the right and proper thing to do and who when we went out together always kept me in order i never felt any anxiety or responsibility about myself if she was by for i knew she would keep a strict watch over me and nudge me or whisper to me if i was making any mistakes 
I was always made comfortable, and not uncomfortable, by her presence. But when it chanced that I went anywhere alone, then I would indeed feel uncomfortable, for then there was no one near to keep me straight. The declaration is that he comforts all our waste places, and he does this by revealing them to us, and at the same time showing us how he can make our wildernesses like Eden, and our deserts like the garden of the Lord. You may object, perhaps, because you are not worthy of his comforts. I do not suppose you are. No one ever is. But you need his comforting, and because you are not worthy, you need it all the more. Christ came into the world to save sinners, not good people, and your unworthiness is your greatest claim for his salvation. In the same passage in Isaiah, in which he tells us that he has seen our ways and was wroth with us, he assures us that he will heal us and restore comforts to us. It is just because he is wroth with us, wroth in the sense in which love is always wroth with any fault in those it loves, that therefore he restores comforts to us, and he does it by revealing our sin and healing it. The avenue to the comfortings of the divine comforter lies through the need of comfort. And this explains to me better than anything else the reason why the Lord so often allows sorrow and trial to be our portion. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, and bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfortably unto her. We find ourselves, it may be, in a wilderness of disappointment and of suffering, and we wonder why the God who loves us should have allowed it. But he knows that it is only in the very wilderness that we can hear and receive the comfortable words he has to pour out upon us. We must feel the need of comfort before we can listen to the words of comfort. And God knows that it is infinitely better and happier for us to need his comforts and receive them than ever it could be not to need them and so be without them. The consolations of God mean the substituting of a far higher and better thing for what we lose to get them. The things we lose are earthly things, those he substitutes are heavenly. And who of us but would thankfully be allured by our God into any earthly wilderness, if only there we might find the unspeakable joys of union with himself? Paul could say he counted all things but loss, if he might but win Christ. And if we have even the faintest glimpse of what winning Christ means, we will say so too. But strangely enough, while it is easy for us when we are happy and do not need comforting, to believe that our God is the God of all comfort, but as soon as we are in trouble and need it, it seems impossible to believe that there can be any comfort for us anywhere. It would almost seem as if in our reading of the Bible we had reversed its meaning, and made it say not, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, but blessed are they that rejoice, for they and they only shall be comforted. It is very strange how often in our secret hearts we almost unconsciously alter the Bible words a little, and so make the meaning exactly opposite to what it actually is. Or else we put in so many ifs and buts as to take the whole point out of what is said. Take, for instance, those beautiful words, God that comforteth those that are cast down and ask ourselves whether we have never been tempted to make it read in our secret hearts, God who forsaketh those who are cast down, or God who overlooks those who are cast down, or God who will comfort those who are cast down if they show themselves worthy of comfort. 
and whether, consequently, instead of being comforted, we have not been plunged into misery and despair. The psalmist tells us that God will comfort us on every side, and what an all-embracing bit of comfort this is. On every side, no aching spot to be left uncomforted. And yet, in times of special trial, how many Christians secretly read this as though it said, God will comfort us on every side except just the side where our trials lie. On that side there is no comfort anywhere. But God says every side, and it is only unbelief on our part that leads us to make an exception of our special side. It is with too many, alas, just as it was with Israel of old. On one side God said to Zion, Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. And on the other side Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. And then God's answer came in those wonderful words, full forever of comfort enough to meet the needs of all the sorrows of all humanity. Forget thee, can a mother forget? Yea, perhaps a mother may forget, but I cannot. I have even graven thee upon the palms of my hands, so that it is impossible for me to forget thee. Be comforted, then, and sing for you. But you may ask how you are to get hold of this divine comfort. My answer is that you must take it. God's comfort is being continually and abundantly given, but unless you will accept it, you cannot have it. Divine comfort does not come to us in any mysterious or arbitrary way. It comes as the result of a divine method. The indwelling comforter brings to our remembrance comforting things concerning our Lord, and if we believe them, we are comforted by them. A text is brought to our remembrance, perhaps, or the verse of a hymn, or some thought concerning the love of Christ and his tender care for us. If we receive the suggestion in simple faith, we cannot help being comforted. But if we refuse to listen to the voice of our Comforter, and insist instead on listening to the voice of discouragement or despair, no comfort can by any possibility reach our souls. It is very possible for even a mother to lavish in vain all her stores of motherly comfort on a weeping child. The child sits up stiff and sullen, and refuses to be comforted. All her comforting words fall on unbelieving ears. For to be comforted by comforting words, it is absolutely necessary for us to believe these words. God has spoken comforting words enough, one would think, to comfort a whole universe. And yet we see all around us unhappy Christians, and worried Christians, and gloomy Christians, into whose comfortless hearts not one of these comforting words seems to be allowed to enter. In fact, a great many Christians actually think it is wrong to be comforted. They feel too unworthy. And if any rays of comfort steal into their hearts, they sternly shut them out. And like Rachel and Jacob and the psalmist, their souls refuse to be comforted. The Apostle tells us that whatsoever things are written in the Scriptures are for our learning, in order that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, may have hope. But if we are to be comforted by the Scriptures, we must first believe them. Nothing that God has said can possibly comfort a person who does not believe it to be really true. 
when the captain of a vessel tells us that his vessel is safe we must first believe him to be telling the truth before we can feel comfortable on board that vessel when the conductor on a railway tells us we are on the right train before we can settle down comfortably in our seats we must trust his word this is all so self-evident that it might seem folly to call attention to it but in religious matters it often happens that the self-evident truths are the very ones most easily overlooked and i have actually known people who insisted on realizing god's comfort while still doubting his words of comfort and who even thought they could not believe his comforting words at all until they had first felt the comfort in their own souls as well might the passenger on the railway insist on having a feeling of comfortable assurance that he is on the right train before he could make up his mind to believe the word of the conductor. Always and in everything comfort must follow faith and can never precede it. In this matter of comfort it is exactly as it is in every other experience in the religious life. God says, Believe, and then you can feel. We say, Feel, and then we can believe. God's order is not arbitrary, it exists in the very nature of things, and in all earthly matters we recognize this, and are never so foolish as to expect to feel we have anything until we first believe that it is in our possession. I could not possibly feel glad that I had a fortune in the bank unless I knew that it was really there. But in spiritual things we reverse God's order, which is the order of nature as well and refuse to believe that we possess anything until we first feel as if we had it. Let me illustrate. We are, let us suppose, overwhelmed with cares and anxieties. It often happens in this world. To comfort us in these circumstances, the Lord assures us that we need not be anxious about anything, but may commit all our cares to Him, for He careth for us. We are all familiar with the passages where he tells us to behold the fowls of the air, and to consider the lilies of the field, and assures us that we are of much more value than they, and that if he cares for them, he will much more care for us. One would think there was comfort enough here for every care or sorrow all the wide world over. To have God assume our cares and our burdens and carry them for us, the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, who can control everything, and foresee everything, and consequently can manage everything in the very best possible way. To have him declare that he will undertake for us, what could possibly be a greater comfort? And yet how few people are really comforted by it. Why is this? Simply and only because they do not believe it. They are waiting to have an inward feeling that his words are true, before they will believe them. They look upon them as beautiful things for him to say, and they wish they could believe them, but they do not think that they can be true in their own special case unless they can have an inward feeling that they are. And if they should speak out honestly, they would confess that since they have no such inward feeling, they do not believe his words apply to them, and as a consequence they do not in the least expect him actually to care for their affairs at all. Oh, if I could only feel it was all true, we say. And God says, Oh, if you would only believe it is all true. It is pure and simple unbelief that is at the bottom of all our lack of comfort, and absolutely nothing else. God comforts us on every side, but we simply do not believe his words of comfort. The remedy for this is plain. 
If we want to be comforted, we must make up our minds to believe every single solitary word of comfort God has ever spoken, and we must refuse utterly to listen to any words of discomfort spoken by our own hearts or by our circumstances. We must set our faces like a flint to believe under each and every sorrow and trial in the divine comforter, and to accept and rejoice in his all-embracing comfort. I say, set our faces like a flint, because when everything around us seems out of sorts, it is not always easy to believe God's words of comfort. We must put our wills into this matter of being comforted, just as we have to put our wills into all other matters in our spiritual life. We must choose to be comforted. It may seem impossible, when things look all wrong and uncared for, to believe that God really can be caring for us as a mother cares for her children. And, although we know perfectly well that he says he does care for us in just this tender and loving way, yet we say, Oh, if I could only believe that, of course I should be comforted. Now here is just where our wills must come in. We must believe it. We must say to ourselves, God says it, and it is true, and I am going to believe it no matter how it looks. And then we must never suffer ourselves to doubt or question it again. I do not hesitate to say that whoever will adopt this plan will come sooner or later into a state of abounding comfort. The psalmist says, In the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. But I am afraid that among the multitude of our thoughts within us there are far too often many more thoughts of our own discomforts than of God's comforts. We must think of his comforts if we are to be comforted by them. It might be a good exercise of soul for some of us to analyze our thoughts for a few days, and see how many thoughts we actually do give to God's comforts, compared with the number we give to our own discomforts. I think the result would amaze us. One word I must add in conclusion. If any of my readers are preachers of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would like to ask them what they are commissioned to preach. The true commission, in my opinion, is to be found in Isaiah 40, 1, 2. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Comfort ye my people, is the divine command. Do not scold them. If it is the gospel you feel called to preach, then see to it you do really preach Christ's gospel, and not man's. Christ comforts, man scolds. Christ's gospel is always good news, and never bad news. Man's gospel is generally a mixture of a little good news and a great deal of bad news, and even where it tries to be good news, it is so hampered with ifs and buts and with all sorts of man-made conditions that it utterly fails to bring any lasting joy or comfort. The only gospel that, to my thinking, can rightly be called the gospel is that one proclaimed by the angel to the frightened shepherds who were in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Fear not, said the angel, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. Never were more comfortable words preached to any congregation, 
and if only all the preachers and all the pulpits would speak the same comfortable words to the people, and if all the congregations who hear these words would believe them and would take the comfort of them, there would be no more uncomfortable Christians left anywhere. And over the whole land would be fulfilled the Apostles' prayer for the Thessalonians. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation, and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, and establish you in every good word and work. End of chapter 3 Recording by A.L.W. P.O.E. on February 13, 2011 A.L.W. P.O.E. dot com